0: All right, if you would be turning in your Bibles to Zephaniah chapter 2. We're going to actually be in verses 3 through 15, not because Matt didn't adequately preach all the way through 3, but you're going to need 3 to understand 4 through 15. And as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I want us to walk away with this morning it's that our sin has deadly consequences for the nations given our calling as ambassadors of reconciliation. Let me say that again. Our sin has deadly consequences for the nations given our calling as ambassadors of reconciliation. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Zephaniah 2, 3 through 15. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. For Gaza shall be deserted and Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you. O Canaan land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. And you, O sea coast, shall be pastures, with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The sea coast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze. And in the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening, for the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be also bowed down each in its place, all the lands of the nations. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert, Birds shall lie down in her midst. All kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog, shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lived securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her, Hisses and shakes his fist. Well, this is a hard word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you're visiting with us, you may be wondering. I thought it was Easter around here. What in the world are we even talking about? Well. You have to remember that Easter is both the judgment of God that falls on Christ on the cross as well as the glory of the resurrection in which there is newness of life and redemption and in which is the down payment on all things being made new. This is actually true of the book of Zephaniah. We just haven't gotten to the resurrection part yet because we haven't hit Good Friday. And so, we are hearing about the warning of God's judgment falling on not just the nations, but we've previously heard it falls on creation. It falls on the people of God because it begins in the house of the Lord, and then it falls on the nations. This is a warning. Remember, I'm not reading a newspaper. This didn't happen exactly as it was spoken in real time. It took some time for it to come about. This is actually a grace of the Lord. We need to be reminded that the Lord takes sin incredibly seriously. And remember that it is not he who is overreacting, it is we who underreact all too often. So as we have been looking at how the sin of the people of God affects creation, affects those also in the household of God, we now see how the sins of the people of God fall on the nations. Now it's not that the nations weren't prideful and idolatrous and that they didn't sin, they did. But because of the sins of God's people, no missional message had gone forward to offer them the opportunity to be redeemed. God was still faithful. Every one of the places mentioned in this chapter, it is actually a geography, it's a wheel all around the the city of Judah, all the nations that kind of surround Jerusalem. There are people from every one of those in the family and the household of God. And we'll get to that because the Lord is faithful even when his people are not. So the question I have for us as we start is whose side is God on? Now You're smart, folks. I know that you know the theological answer to that question is. The question is, are you, are we, am I on God's side? And what does that actually mean? Now, I want to challenge you that functionally I think many of you think this is a good question. And I think that what we do is we have certain things that we're very passionate about that, that, that stir us and we want for everybody to be as stirred up about any one of the given topics that the Lord has placed on us. And we forget that we are different parts of the body and that different parts of the body are going to have different gifts and passions. Right, And so often, we take up whatever cause is ours, and we, instead of having a full-orbed, humble view of the kingdom and the gospel, we tend to want God to baptize or bless what we are doing and turn a blind eye to what we're not. Too often, we are only trying to say, well, I know God is the plumb line. Remember this from Romans, right? God is his righteousness, his holiness, that's the plumb line. And we go, yeah, but I can't be perfect. So all I need to do is be better than Adam Wilson, right? Aiming low, just aiming low, <laughs> just front row, right? So, so that now, listen, you may say, I don't ever say that out loud. No, no, no. You ha- you need to have the spirit look into the darker parts of your heart and show you where you are uh, saying. at least I'm better than those folks. At least I voted the way that looks most Christian. At least I care about the issue that seems to be the biggest issue at current. At least I'm not like those people. And you know what's funny? Who do you sound like? If you could uh, think of a parable in the Bible. Let me help you. It was a Pharisee, an arch-conservative in that world, who stood and said, at least you didn't make me a woman or a Gentile. And you do remember that Jesus said, that prayer, and this is my translation, this is in the Greek, is trash. That prayer is worthless and it will not make it to heaven. There was another person that was there whose head was bowed, who was beating his chest, and he said, God, have mercy on me, I am a sinner. And he said, this man will be heard on high. We need to make sure that we are, if we are trying to be on God's side, that we are using God's categories and that we recognize that that has to be how we critique our own positions and who we are. Now, uh, what I'm going to get to, and a big part of this, is that the church is responsible for both maintenance and mission. We are to both conserve and progress. I know some of you just triggered at those two terms because you've got all kind of freight on on conservative and you need to learn how to take terms and not just let them be an umbrella and cause you to think a certain way without you critically thinking them through. And so we have the responsibility to guard the deposit that has been entrusted to us, yes? We do. But if that's all we do, we end up like a story that we're going to read a little bit later on the guy who got the one talent and buried it in the ground. Remember, the Lord was very pleased that when he came back, he only had that one talent, you remember? No, he was not. In fact, he has some of the harshest words to say to him of anybody in the Scripture. He says, cast this man out and let it be with wailing and gnashing of teeth. But Lord, I, I protected it. I didn't let the kids hear about uh, SpongeBob. I protected my deposit. Now, if we on the other side are just missional, we're just anything goes, you've got to be all things to all people, which is a misinterpretation of what Paul says, then you become of the world, not just in the world. And remember, the check is to be in the world, but not of the world, which is paradoxical. And and it is a tension, which is why we like to resolve it one way or the other. Instead of recognizing that in our midst... We have conservative brothers and sisters, and I'm not using that term politically. We have conservative brothers and sisters that are going to help us guard the deposit. And for those of us who are on the missional side, we need somebody to keep us from floating off into the atmosphere and thinking that Jesus only cared about really, really stinking nasty sinners because they're more fun to be around than Pharisees. Now, we love the Pharisees too, you Remember? He saved one that became a pretty important part of our Bibles. His name's Paul. And so it is important that we have both in balance because the conservative folks wouldn't let some of the kind of people in here that desperately need to hear the gospel. That the missional folks might could get in here through hospitality and, and relationship and other ways. So we need each other, and it is not that one is better than the other. Both are dependent upon the other. And this is what we're going to see here in this text is that when it gets out of balance, it is costly, not just to us, but to the nations. And you may say, well, God's sovereign. He's going to save whoever he wants. That's true. But he's invited you into it. Why wouldn't you want to be part of the party that breaks out when one lost sinner comes home? Why would you not want to be able to celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb the righteousness that is going to clothe the bride of Christ that is the righteousness of Who? Say it. The saints. So how we live matters. And we need to stop trying to vie for power and look down upon the other because their wire is broken in this world. And to try to rate it based on, what's the most broken thing that we can try to fix is foolishness. It's not what we're called to. We're called to hopefulness and creativity. We're called to protect and give away. All right, so as we step into the text, let me back up to verse three. So he says, Seek the Lord, all you, listen, humble of the land. That is a a pretty interesting qualifier, right? Here's a lot of things that he could have used to qualify to say, Come and see me. But what he says is, Seek you, the humble of the land. Now, here's where it gets tough. You don't get to decide whether or not you're humble. You just don't. And if you're wondering if this is a descriptor of you, go ask somebody who will tell you the truth and ain't scared of you. They'll tell you. And it's an important question for us to ask because we can't see it from where we are. You just can't see it from where you sit. And so this is an important distinguisher that we need to use as we try to engage in various things. If you're, going to main, if you're a maintainer, you're a conservative, you got to do it humbly. If you're missional, you're, you're, you want to progress the kingdom, you got to do it humbly. You Just do. There's no other qualifier. It goes on. Who, and this is those who are humble, do, and this is an important qualifier, the just commands of the Lord. does justice come up so much and why have we the church modern church turned it into a dividing word how would we let so biblical a word be robbed by the devil himself and cause us to divide over and, and fail to encourage each other to be just as God is just you need to not allow every time the word justice comes up to cause you to go apoplectic and think lazily. You need not take every time the word justice comes up and slap the word woke on it, which has become an utterly meaningless, indistinguishable, foolish thing to say. It means almost nothing now. We need to recognize that social injustice is only problematic if... It means that there's another way to be saved than Jesus. Don't be lazy in your thinking. Find out what it actually means and what people are actually talking about before you go rushing off, cutting them off from the body. We should not be divided over something we were called to be. So what are God's just commands? Well, Jesus made them kind of simple, didn't he? Except, are they simple? Love the Lord your God with all Your heart, soul, and mind. Super easy, right? No. And even if that wasn't hard enough, we suburbanites think about it. The person who makes just as much money as we do, but the widow and the orphan. The stranger who was coming through. This was the neighbor they were called to love uniquely. The person who was from a different nation, who worshiped different, had different ethics and ideas, but were coming through. That was the neighbor you were supposed to love, and here's a qualifier, as yourself to treat them as if they were your own flesh. So here's who God's talking to. So if that's not you, this ain't for you this morning. If you're not humble and you're not interested in God's just commands and living those out, well, then this sermon is more of a warning and condemnation than an encouragement. If you want to be humble and do God's just commands, but it's a struggle, then may you be encouraged by what you're going to hear. But the stakes are eternal. They're high. He goes on. These folks should seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord for there's judgment coming to the nations. Now, the reason that this stuff is paired together is that frequently the people, uh, they were scared of the surrounding nations. And they thought that if, hey, if we look a little bit like them, if we, if, we, if we dance like them, we, we sing their songs, we, we worship a little bit like, you know, we, we do both. So that's called syncretism. Then, then it'll keep them from trying to come in and hurt us. So they were maintaining. They were protecting, so they thought, in some way. And what God is telling them is, no, you need not worry about them. You stay faithful. You train your children up in faithfulness help them to see the glory of the gospel, help them to live life more abundant, and you will not have to worry about their imaginations being captured by the sexuality of the surrounding nations or the critical theories of the surrounding nations. You won't have to worry about it near as much because they will have something that has captured their imagination and will will cause them to want to use the energy with which the Lord has imbued them in the power of the Spirit. You are not doing anything to actually help by keeping from without putting something back. In fact, I believe there's a parable about that. Remember what happened when the person who was demon-possessed kicked the demon out and didn't put anything back? Bible scholars, what happened next? Something worse happened. Seven more came back. So when we don't have anything of robustness to capture the imaginations of our children, there will be nothing to maintain in a generation or so. There will be no mission in a generation or so. So what he's telling about this all the wrong way. I am the Lord your God. Why would you fear all these folks around you? Instead, what you're supposed to do is love them. You were called to be a priesthood to the nations, not from them. You were called in the Abrahamic covenant to carry forth the blessing of the Lord. And for those who would receive it, they would be blessed. And for those who would reject it, they would be cursed. But either way, it's not dependent on you which way it goes. It's dependent on you that it get delivered. Same thing he told Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3. And so, he tells them, and he begins to the west and this is Philistine country. This is Canaanite country. And the poetry here is lost on us. I, I, I thought about trying to read it for you in the Hebrew, and I, I just didn't think it, would, it, it wouldn't slap like it should. And so, and so it's important that you, you recognize that some of the language is intentionally hyperbolic. It's poetic, which for some of us, uh, we just say it straight. So God does. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. And now for the poetic reading of said truths. Uh, because it's going to cost them if you don't. And what he does is he rotates the main cities in, in, in Philistine or in Canaan. And he just rotates through and he basically says they're going to get swept away. I won't read that again for you. But they're going to be destroyed. So there's nothing for you to fear. In fact, you the remnant are going to take over those places. Now again, for many of us, you may be kind of feeling, man, that seems harsh. It's only harsh if he doesn't warn. It's only harsh if no one goes and delivers the message. Like, you don't understand, like, how will these folks know this is coming if no one goes and tells them? I'm starting to sound like Romans 10 right now. How will they be able to call on the name of the Lord and be redeemed, such as the widow at Zarephath, who was a Canaanite, which really angered the conservatives in the first century when Jesus started talking about race in that first sermon on Isaiah 61. They wanted to kill him. Huh. Or the Canaanite woman whose child was dying and she cried out for the Lord to save her child. And he had that really interesting exchange where he doesn't even look at her. And he looks at his disciples and I imagine it wasn't soft. And he says, basically, this whole issue of dogs and such, they don't deserve even the crumbs from the table. And she says, yes, but even even the little dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I'll take that much from you, Lord. And he is overwhelmed at her display of faith, this Canaanite woman. So while we hear absolutist language here, there will be, there are Canaanites, Philistines in the family of God. So I understand, I can appreciate if you feel like, man, that just seems really harsh. No, it's a warning, and it's a warning about guarded once deposited. And then he moves on from the west to the east and he starts talking about the Moabites and the Ammonites, which they have a long history with the people of God of trying to keep them out of the promised land and not being willing to work with them but work against them. And they taunt the people of God frequently, which God doesn't take a shine to. But what's interesting is you want to watch for where there is the promise of Revelation 7. Y'all remember Revelation 7 from from when we did it at Christmas a few years ago. Remember, it's the beautiful picture, and John says it exquisitely. He says, I couldn't even number them. There were so many people, I couldn't even tell how many there were. And they were from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and they were worshiping the Lord our God together in unity. And it was beautiful, and Jesus wiped away every tear from every eye. Not just the Jewish ones. And so it's important that we recognize what the end game is. And you may say, yeah, but I'm in judgment, yes, there's judgment. And we need to take that seriously. It, how does someone who doesn't know their eternity is at, take, at stake take it seriously? We know their eternity is at stake. Why are we not taking it seriously? Missionally, Prayerfully. And so as he moves through and lets the Ammonites and the Moabites know that they will be dealt with specifically by him because ultimately they have sought to mock him, not just his people. But notice, let's pick it up in verse 11. It says, The Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth. So he's saying he will destroy all the idols that have led them astray, that have caused them to turn from the Lord their God, He's going to take care of that. And then what happens next? And to him shall bow down each in its place all the lands and the nations. They will either bow to him as father, as the redeemed, or they will bow to him as judge to be separated for an eternity. Now, how does the distinction come about? Through the instrumentation, which is the people of God, carrying the message of the gospel, carrying the message of God's love forward, how beautiful the feet are those who carry the good news that come upon the mountains. Are we carrying the good news to those who need it or are we telling them that they are not welcome here because they don't think like we do? And so... He turns to the south, and I kind of feel bad for the southerners here. They get such a, just a swift mention. He's like, you also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword, and moving to the north. <laughs> now, are there Cushites in the kingdom of God? Yes, Moses married one, uh, Jeremiah's only friend, in the they are in the kingdom of God. And as he turns to the north, you may know these folks—the Assyrians, the Ninevites. You remember Jonah was sent to them, and he preached. And you remember why he was angry? It's very telling as to what transpired, because there's all this scholarly argument: Did they actually repent? Are they in the kingdom of heaven? Jonah says it. He says, "Look, I knew." That you were in Exodus 34, 6, and 7 God. You were steadfast in love. You were forgiving. You are slow to anger. You like to see people redeemed. And that's why I didn't want to come here. Because I knew you would save them. That's some, of our, that's some of our hearts. And notice what God says to him at the end. He says, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be so angry about how things are going these days? You do remember I'm still in charge. And you still have a mission that hasn't changed. The circumstances do not change the purpose and the mission of the church. Doesn't. Too often we think it does. Nothing new east of Eden. And so, as he turns to the Ninevites and says that they too will be turned essentially into a wilderness, he has moved all around. But remember, this happens after what transpires for the people of God who get judged first. All of these nations will fall in God's judgment, but better that many be redeemed out of the judgment that is coming. Is this not the message of Easter? Better that we would hear these words and have some measure of sorrow for our enemies. I think Jesus said something about this, didn't he? Did he not say love your enemies? Some of y'all's love looks like hate if that's what you're doing. We are to love our enemies. Now, are we, to, are we to give up the deposit that we are to guard to our enemies? No. That's the worst possible thing you could do. You will destroy them for eternity. Woe be unto us if we were to syncretize with the culture. So hear me rightly. I know many of you are kind of wondering Where's Cameron gone? I'm right here. We are not called to syncretize or to bow to the culture. However, we are called to humility and to love and to service and suffering. Which, if you were to think about most of why you think the way you do, it's because you don't want to suffer all the way down. That is your greatest mimetic desire. You just don't want to suffer, and you don't care how that happens. You don't care what it costs, because you're already saved. You're saved enough. Do remember Matthew 7, please. Not in fear, not in lack of assurance, but saved enough ain't enough. Now, if you would entertain me by turning to Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 30, because I think you need to hear from Jesus. And Matthew 25 is a very interesting chapter because it's the parable of the ten virgins first, right? Which is all about folks being prepared for the return of Jesus. And then it's followed, that's one bank of the river, that's the folks who are to maintain. There's a maintenance function to the church. We have to guard the deposit that we have. But part of that maintenance is actually giving our children and the next generation, those who come in, a robust understanding of vision and mission. There has to be something to capture their imaginations, not just tell them what's wrong and, and what they need to stay away from. How effective is that, parents? Right? How many, how many of y'all admit yourselves, every time my mom told me I couldn't do it, that basically was telling me I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it like at an 11? And that's even for some of y'all quiet kids. And so you have that and then you have the parable of the talents and then to, 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 on the back end you have the judgment of the sheep and the goats, which interestingly uh, is all about loving your neighbor. So listen at this, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. Now, what was Jesus about to do? He's about to go away. In the ascension, he was going to die, rise again, and ascend, and he is leaving and trusting the kingdom to his servants. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. So what does that tell us straight away? Different folks have different gifts, and there's different expectations of what you will do with those gifts. That's good news to us. Not everybody's expected to do the exact same thing. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. That means he took and risked what he had. Do you have any idea what a risk it was? To take someone else's money and go out and trade with it? But the Lord blessed the work of his hands. The Lord blessed his faithfulness. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he, who had received the one talent, went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. He conserved it. He didn't risk it. He didn't lose any of it. He maintained it. Did he not? Let's read on. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good, maintained what he had and risked it in mission. Did both. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now I want to pause here. One of the problems I think that is going on in the malaise of the modern church, and we feel it here, is that we're not on mission. By and large, we, we are not thinking creatively and hopefully, if we're not careful, and that has led to a joylessness in our Christianity, which is why we're so angry and fearful and frustrated about what we're maintaining. Who, in their right mind, would want what you have based on the frustration and anger that spews forth from you? Right? Like, think about this. If I said, Adam, I'm going to pick on you, and you just look like, let's see, Adam! You idiot. will not you come to my house and eat dinner? You punk. Yeah. Like, is that an invitation? Like, we get it. You, you're not dumb. You hear that, but can you hear it in your voice? Can you hear it in your shrillness and the things that you are saying and the things that are actually not actually fully in line with the gospel? Are you hearing it in the way that you're lopping off the other brothers and sisters that have a different set of gifts and abilities than you? And so we are experiencing at times a genuine joylessness because we're not seeing anything change. I'm not talking about the culture, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about people coming to Jesus. Praise God that James Resch made a confession of faith last week. And I hope y'all clapped, I trust you did. Uh, If you didn't, you can figure it out some other time. Right, praise God that through our children's ministry, we have someone else that wants to come and be baptized and come to the table. Praise God. That's the deposit that's been entrusted to us. And may it continue to bear eternal fruit. Amen. Amen. Now, it did take us a long time to get all the children's ministers we needed, but, you know, yeah, you got to do something, right? But even more important, we need to see, we need to see some other folks from outside the deposit that's been guard, that we are to, to guard and to cultivate it, we would benefit so much from somebody coming to Christ that doesn't look anything like us. I had the opportunity to hang out with a guy on Thursday night, and it's not Josh, not y'all. It was after y'all. And this guy, he's got it all right, based on what some of you think. He has been kicked out of every major establishment in Marietta except the one where I was, and they were only being kind to him. They knew who he was. They figured they were going to have to kick him out at some point. But because he came and sat at my table, they said, all right, that's the best table he could have gone to, to make it through the night. And so one of the things that he sat down, I said, "I said, man, why are you being kicked out of every place in Marietta? He said, because I'm a conservative. Uh, just all over his nose. The, the, he was in bad shape. Okay, He ordered a drink I knew he wasn't going to pay for. I didn't want him to walk out on the staff. So I just told the staff, I said, hey, if he, if he bounces, I got you. You're good. And so, but, but he's got his thinking right. So how many of y'all would be okay with my man, George, watching your kids? He thinks he's got all the right thoughts in place. Is huffing glue a problem for that? See, there are other things. There are other things that are problematic. But I would love to see this young man in the kingdom. And he knows my name because he said, hey, what do you do? <laughs> And I, said, and I'm no longer embarrassed about that question. I said, "I'm a pastor." He goes, "Oh, I love the Bible." I said, "Really?" And he said, "I love Gospel of Matthew, my favorite book." What's your favorite book? I said, "Ecclesiastes," and it messed him up. <laughs> and and <laughs> but it was interesting how the other people reacted to how I was treating him because he got he got he got he out at one point, and I told him, I said, "George, I need you to get it together." And I said, "Let me tell you why." This is the only place in this town that lets you come here and and enjoy yourself, not the way you're currently trying to enjoy yourself. Don't ruin this. You need a table at which to sit. And he said, okay. (laughs) And he calmed down. (laughs) And it didn't get weirder than that. But my point is, that man needs Jesus. What if he rolled in, his his watch don't work. You would spot him pretty quick. He's shifty-eyed. But, but, he, but he, hey, he, he votes right, uh, and, and, he, and, he's, and he's got the, the glue on his nose, and w- would, we, would we welcome him who so desperately needs Jesus? Or would we say, well, Cam, man, I need you to get him straight before he comes here. Really? Is that how the church works? Is that how Jesus worked? Well, that's just one example, right? Right? But we need to be a community of people who get both. There's a, there's a, there's a deposit to be guarded. Don't get me wrong. We've got to maintain. We, cannot, we, we, we can't get soft on what's true biblically. We can't lose the truth of the gospel. We can't bow to the culture. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, we've got to realize that we are not given a deposit that is scarce. We are given a deposit that is robust, it's lavish, it, is, it fills the heavens. And we are to give it away because the Lord continues to replenish, just like he did here. For the folks who gave five away, what they get? Five more. And when he showed up, he said, I'm going to give you some more. And you're going to get joy from it. But I digressed from the, from the text itself. Let me get back. Verse 22. And he also said to the one who had the two talents to come forward, and he said, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, and notice, this guy made less than the last guy. Notice the difference in what he says or the lack thereof. master. said the exact same thing. Not about amount. It's about whether or not you were faithful with what you were given. He also who had received the one talent, he came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, fearful, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. I maintained it. I conserved it. I protected it. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather, where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. Whoa, the bankers. You can't trust them, can you, Dave? Tell the truth. (laughs) And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is talking about mission. To fail to participate in the mission of God has eternal consequences. And we need to be about this work, not because we are scared of the eternal consequences. We have Christ. We're in union with Christ. But because we are afraid to lose the joy that comes from doing what we were called to do as ambassadors of reconciliation, not angry ministers of reckoning. Because God is sovereign over all. Listen to what John McKay says. He says, the message regarding the nations emphasize the universality of the Lord's rule. He is in control of what is happening on earth. If you have a problem with what's happening around here, you ultimately have a problem with God. You need to take it to him. He's big enough to handle it. And if you want to be part of the solution, you got to remember the posture. Humble and just. Loving the Lord your God, loving your neighbor. And he goes on. Although he will bring judgment on those who live in rebellion against him, the future is not totally bleak. Glimpses are given of the restoration of Judah in 2.7 and of worldwide blessing in 2.11. So how do you respond to God's promise of judgment on the enemies of his people? Are you like, finally, finally? that some measure of that judgment may be because of our unfaithfulness and failure to do what we are called to do. And even more importantly, what's most affecting your call as an ambassador of reconciliation? Is it fear? Are you angry? Do you do well to be angry? See, if, if you're being kept from being an ambassador of reconciliation, that is sin, Period. It just is. Now, you may be wrestling with, okay, but what does that look like? I'm a a mom of five kids. How do I do this? Well, if you've got five kids, you've been given a deposit, you're you're probably going to be on the maintenance side of things, right? And that's okay. That's the talents you've been given. Invest in them. Praise be to God. Come to worship. Uh, Participate. Participate in our children's ministry. That's your call. For, for those of us empty nesters who've got a little more time, a little more effort, maybe not as much energy, uh, we can be more hospitable. We can go. We can, we can sit in places where a guy like George will roll up on you and ask to sit with you. Not everybody's wired for that. Gabriel Rivera and I had a great conversation about this yesterday. Not everybody's wired to do that kind of stuff. I'm really bad with people who aren't like George, as it turns out. And so for me to go to like an insurance conference and try to share the gospel is not going to work out. That's not my calling. It's not my gifting. That may be yours. Maybe God has put you in some of those spaces. They need Jesus there too. But we need to be thinking more humbly and more justly, biblically. And if you're wrestling with that, let's talk about it. Send me an email that's not an angry Jeremy, you know, Jeremy ad or whatever. Uh, send me some questions. Let's, let's wrestle with it. Let's figure it out. Let's pray about it. And then let's honor Jesus. Let's maintain and be on mission. Let us guard the deposit and give away as we are called to do. So Zephaniah 2, 3 through 15 teaches us that our sin has deadly consequences for God's people given our relationship to the church as God's royal priesthood. Would you join me in us becoming more a place that cultivates ambassadors of reconciliation instead of a fortress that just goes on and on about everything that's wrong in the world and why? If Christians could just think like us, it would all get better. No, it won't. We've done that in history, actually. And it ended in like crusades and stuff, which weren't so hot, right? So let us be a place that is humble and just, Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you would entrust a deposit to us at all. Uh, thank you that you are patient with us. You are long-suffering with us. Thank you that you speak directly to us, your people, that you engage with the things that, are, that matter to us. Thank you that you give us, thank you that you call different ones of us to care. Thank you that we are maintainers and we are uh, missional. Help us to not be at odds. Help us to actually build up and work together in this way. Help us to realize that we are to be a people of hope and creativity for the life of the world. May we look more like Jesus. May you form us more into his image and character, which is your image and character. Help us, Father, this Easter season, actually live out what is the truth of the Easter season. In Christ's name, amen.